Welcome to the New Year's Eve edition episode of the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, the podcast where all things entertainment meet with all things pop culture, where anything is fair game to talk about, whether it's TV, movies, music, video gaming, sports, anything is fair game here to talk about on the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast. This week, I'm going to talk about some things from 2020, some of my favorites from the year. I'm also going to talk about Wonder Woman 1984. The NBA is up and running, so let's get right to it and let's talk about some things to wrap up 2020. Wonder Woman 1984 has premiered on HBO Max. I'm, I have watched it. I'm not going to go into spoilers right away. I'm going to talk first off about how it performed as far as box office and on HBO Max. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to discuss the movie and talk about spoilers because I don't want to spoil this for anybody that hasn't seen anything. So I'm going to put all my spoiler thoughts on the movie at the very end of this podcast to where if you don't if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want spoilers, you can bail out before before I say anything. As far as the numbers, very impressive numbers for Wonder Woman 1984. On the HBO Max end, it's, they said that half of the HBO Max retail subscribers watched the movie on its very first day on the service, which is very impressive. You know, this was a big draw for HBO Max to get uh, people in there to watch this movie and yeah, that's super impressive with what they did. As far as the box office goes, uh, the box office, they did $16.7 million at the box office on opening weekend in the U.S. and $36.1 million globally. And this is the best box office numbers since the pandemic began. So very successful there. The third movie has already been fast-tracked, so they're already underway trying to get that going. Um, as far as uh, as far as the HBO Max side, this is what uh, Andy Frisell, the executive vice president, general manager of Warner Media, direct to consumer, had to say. This is what he had to say on his thoughts on how Wonder Woman 1984 performed. He said, "Wonder Woman 1984 broke records and exceeded our expectations across all of our key viewing and subscriber metrics in its first 24 hours on the service." And the interest and momentum we're seeing indicates that it, that this will likely continue well beyond the weekend. During these very difficult times, it was nice to give families the option of enjoying this uplifting film at home where theater viewing wasn't an option. So yeah, very performed very well. Uh, I know there was a lot of buzz on Twitter. Of course, there was a lot of buzz on Twitter for wrong reasons because it, it's been getting some negative pushback from a lot of people. I have noticed that going on. So... When I went into it, I kind of went into it with low expectations just because I'd heard so much negative. I thought, well, you know, let me just see what I thought of it. And I'm going to tell you what I thought of it later after the break. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let me do the Ryan Seacrest after the break. No, later on in the podcast, I'll give my spoiler thoughts on the movie. But I just wanted to tell you how it performed. You know, very impressive. I know HBO Max has got to be very happy with these numbers. And in a, in a year where the box office has obviously, you know, been weak, theaters are struggling, 
you know, with the pandemic and everything going on, because it's just, you know, you just can't go to movies right now, you know, with everything going on. So, you know, 16.7 million, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's seen as a major uplifter for theaters right now with, uh, with this pandemic and just how hard of a year it's been on them. The NBA season is back underway for the 2020-21 season. Opened up on December 22nd, right at their peak time for uh, for Christmas, you know, with viewing. Uh, of course, there's a lot of people for many years that have said that, that have pushed, you know, wanting for the shorter NBA season and wanting them to just launch around Christmas because there's kind of a feeling among a lot of, a lot in sports that, November until Christmas is kind of filler for the NBA and that when they get to the big marquee like Christmas games that that's when the season kind of kicks into gear and there was a lot of attention on the NBA season as it started the ratings were up they were doing very good ratings for opening week and uh, this was the most viewed opening week since 2011 which is ironically the last time that the NBA season started late around Christmas, and that was due to the lockout that year. So the opening week across the board was up 67%, and that covers across TNT, ESPN, and ABC, comparing it to last year's opening week. Christmas Day games on ESPN were up 10% in average viewers compared to last season, uh, which was, of course, the Clippers and Denver Nuggets game and the New Orleans Pelicans and Miami Heat games, which, of course, got Zion on Christmas. So there was definitely some attention, I'm sure, with people tuning in to see Zion on uh, Christmas Day. Uh, the NBA said they had a 36 in, 36% increase in video views on their social media, 279% increase in minutes watched compared to last year's opening week, and the NBA said that this was their most watched week in 15 years of their history on their YouTube channel. So that's pretty impressive, too. Um, opening night on TNT with Brooklyn Nets and Golden State Warriors and the Lakers and Clippers was the most watched opening night games on TNT since 2017, where they were averaging averaged 2.9 million viewers on this opening night. And TNT was also the winner of the night, including that 18 to 14 uh, demo, you know, that big target inside the NBA, which I love inside the NBA. Uh, fourth most watched program on cable on that night on December 22nd as they opened up. And the Christmas games with the Lakers and Dallas Mavericks, that game averaged 7 million viewers on ABC, making it the most watched network in prime time. So, yeah, people definitely tuned in to see LeBron and Luka in that Christmas night matchup. And, I mean, they had a good doubleheader on TNT uh, with Brooklyn and Golden State where you've got Durant, you know, going to uh, going to Brooklyn and then playing his old team with Golden State. So there's definitely interest there. And, then of course, you got the L.A. rivalry with the Lakers and Clippers to where, you know, we didn't get that matchup. We were expecting that matchup in the conference finals last year and, Clippers just didn't get there, you know, and there was a lot of hype and talk on that conference finals that we were pumped to see, you know, and it's it just didn't happen. So, you know, that was a way for us to get that matchup on opening night with them. 
NBA season overall, you know, we're off and running. There's been a lot of blowouts so far, like some crazy blowouts, 50-point blowouts, and some of these blowouts have been my bulls, so I can't say much. <laughs> First couple games were my bulls getting demolished by uh, big-time double digits. But there's been a lot of blowout uh, losses, including, you know, I'm talking about the Clippers. They got destroyed uh, one day by uh, by Dallas, where it was like a 50, I think it was a 50-point deficit at halftime, which was just insane. You know, on NBA TV, they were talking, it was Greg Anthony and Isaiah Thomas in there, and Greg Anthony was saying, it takes a lot of effort to be down 50 points at halftime, meaning, meaning a big effort to, like, be able to lose like that. You know, it's, he said, it's hard to, you know, it's easy to be down 20 at halftime, but to be down 50 at halftime requires a whole nother level of, <laughs> of destruction, you know? So yeah, that was a ugly loss for the Clippers that night. And there's been some ugly losses across the board. Like I said, my bulls have been not pretty. They've won their last two, including one today. So they, I don't know. I don't know. So this season, it's just kind of kind of waiting to see kind of what happens. I feel like there's going to be moves made. Uh, as far as the season so far, I mean, the Ja Moran injury, thankfully that wasn't as bad as it looked because when it happened, I thought, oh, no. Like, that looked really bad with the way he just hopped, just, you know, hobbling over there to the, over to the, you know, off the court, and it just looked bad. So thankfully, thankfully he appears to be okay. I mean, as far as from a serious injury, he's got a grade two ankle sprain. So, you know, it's a three to five week injury, which is bad. But considering how bad that looked, I thought that might be a season ender with how bad that looked when it happened. So thankfully, you know, he will be back because he's definitely one of the most exciting stars in this league. And, you know, him and Zion last year with the other rookies, that has been very fun to keep up with and watch that uh, that matchup go on with uh, the two rookies competing for Rookie of the Year. Of course, Zion was hurt for part of the year, so it's like we didn't get the full full power, you know, rookie matchup between the two of them. But, yeah, I'm just hoping both of them can stay healthy and just put on a show for years and years to come. So... Looking forward to Jaw being back. Uh, but yeah, the NBA having a very good start to their season as far as viewer-wise. So definitely people are looking forward to tuning in, you know, and seeing seeing how the season goes. And I think people are just very, very excited for sports, you know. Although the ratings were down kind of for the bubble. So I don't know. Maybe it's just, I'm not sure what it is that's kind of bumped the NBA ratings up. I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's just like the the Christmas bump that they normally get, but it's just magnified because of the pandemic. Maybe, you know what, maybe it's because like the bubble, it was still warm outside and everything and people still hadn't kind of settled back into their houses. Maybe people, with it being winter now, maybe everybody's more inside and they're looking for things to watch even more now. I don't know, I'm just throwing hypotheticals out there, but doesn't it sound good? <laughs> it sounds like something that's, very possible on why, but yeah, definitely a definitely a very successful uh, opening week that I know the NBA has to be thrilled with, and hopefully, you know, we've got a good season to come here. Mm-hmm.
So with it being New Year's Eve, as I record this, you know, with the New Year's Eve edition, I didn't really know, I thought about doing kind of a year in review kind of thing, but man, I don't know about everybody else. I'm not really crazy about doing a year in review of <laughs> 2020 because it's just, uh, it's just a lot of bad stories and a lot of just bad happenings, you know, is I just don't really want to relive it, discuss it, you know, it's just kind of, this is just kind of one of those years to where you just kind of just want to leave it there, you know, and yeah, I mean, we started in January, you know, with Kobe Bryant, you know, just the awful tragedy and news of that. And that was kind of the first really like big hammer, you know, that we got uh, in the entertainment world, you know, from uh, what 2020 was going to bring, you know, and I just thought about that with doing a year in review, I'm just like, I just don't want to talk about just sad, miserable stuff for the podcast, you know, because it just has been, it's been a rough year. So what I do every year with uh, my year is I will always rank like my favorite, favorite songs, favorite singers, favorite albums, favorite movies, favorite shows of 2020 is kind of a way for, you know, for me to look look back years ahead and just be like, oh, this is what I was liking in this year, you know, and it kind of timestamp these years. So kind of what I would thought that I would do is just bring my list over to the podcast, you know, for uh, for 2020 and just use that as kind of something as a way to just find something something enjoyable, you know, to talk about for 2020. So we are going to start with albums and EPs, and it's kind of interesting because this is what I always call just favorite albums, you know, but a lot of the trend now in music is EPs, you know, that people are, instead of putting out like full albums, you've got a lot of singers that are putting out EPs now, which is good because I enjoy more music, you know, it's, it seems like with the EPs, we're getting more music from a lot of singers now, you know, where they're putting out more music and I'm seeing a lot of singers you know putting out a lot more music this year in 2020 because you know it's it's just been a time where you know people are kind of confined you know and just kind of sitting around and I think everybody's looking for ways to use their creativity and come up with things to do I mean well, goodness why well, got going with this podcast you know it's like something I thought about doing for a while and you know, 2020 seems like as good of a year as any to be like, you know, why don't we just try this and see if it's fun, you know, and here we are still rolling. So, I mean, that's kind of what everybody's doing. They're just trying to find some way to put something creative into 2020. So let's start with albums and EPs. Um, I'm going to rank them back. I'm going to start and then rank my way up got Maddie and Tay, The Way It Feels, their album came out this year. Just super awesome album. Really enjoyed it. And I should point out, um, with 2020, of course, I, you know, when it's warm outside and it's decent, I try to get outside and do walking. You know, it's like I just do laps around the yard, you know, isolation, keeping, keeping away, you know, from everybody and everything and just trying to do my part, you know, so I try to just kind of do laps, you know, around the yard, driveway, whatever, you know, and a lot of 2020 has been these albums, you know, and I would 
you know, new album would get released. I'm like, okay, this is going to be my walking music, you know, for the day or whatever. And one of them was Maddie and Tay's album. I really like this album a lot. You know, there was a lot of good buzz on it coming out and just very enjoyable album. I love Maddie and Tay. They're very good. They've had a very successful year. A lot of award nominations that they so badly deserve because they're such a talented duo. Of course, last year they were on the Cry Pretty Tour with Carrie Underwood. This year, they were supposed to go on the Lady A Tour, and that thing was set to roll. And of course, 2020, you know, took a hit to that. And, you know, the tour didn't get to happen, which was such a bummer because that was... I was looking forward to that for them, you know, to uh, just continue to grow, you know, just another really positive, fun experience for them. So, but yeah, just super awesome album here. Really liked it. Moving up to my next one, I've got Kelsey Ballerini, the Kelsey album. Of course, she's put out two versions of this album this year where she put out the original version, which was Kelsey uh recently she put out the back end of it where it's the same same songs but just reimagined where she's remixed them and done a different spin on the songs and then that version's called ballerini i'm gonna go of course both of them are awesome i'm going with the first one and this was really one of my first albums that kind of i think that was really one of my first things that came out as far as new music when you know, the pandemic happened and lockdown happened. I think this was really the first new music that I got to where, you know, I turn on that album and I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's something really positive. And of course I was walking that day, listening to it. And it was just a, it was just a good uplifter, you know, and just a good album. I like a lot of the songs on there. Just really, really good. Up next, I've got Taylor Swift with her Evermore album. This was the second of her two surprise albums that she released in 2020. Of course, her other album was Folklore. That's the one that came out back in the summer. And then we got this one, you know, within the last month. Just a lot of good stuff on this. I actually listened to it, like, immediately, of course, because I really wanted to talk about it on the podcast, too. So I listened to that immediately. Just a lot of good stuff. It's a very, it's like an album that you can listen to over and over that you'll enjoy. Uh, next album I've got, actually this is an EP, here we go, this is an EP, got Lauren Elena with uh, Getting Over Him, this is the first of two albums I'm getting ready to talk about, the next one's coming up right after this one, to where we've got singers doing albums on breakups, you know, where uh, they're taking that emotion and and putting it into their writing, you know, and you know, this is an album that Lauren Elena came out with, you know, following her breakup where she, you know, she talked about in interviews that she hadn't really talked about her breakup that she'd had and that this EP was like her response, you know, and to where it was like this was how she was going to respond to it and release this album. Just a very good album. Uh, of course, it's got a, got the very awesome song on it, Getting Good, which is very awesome. You know, I love the lyrics of it. I'm thinking once I learn to grow right where I'm planted, maybe that's when life starts getting good, which I think that's, uh, you know, that's a lyric there that all of us can relate to, you know, or if you can just get finally get comfortable where you're planted, you know, and start growing from there, you know, and embracing it, you know, that's uh, very good. 
Next album I've got, speaking on that, is Lindsay L. with Heart Theory. I've got her as my number two here on my list. And this this is just, this is a breakup album, straight up. This, what I like with what she's done with this is, you know, this is like the steps of a breakup to where it's in order. The album from start to finish is very much like her you know, from the start of the breakup to where, you know, to the end, she's, she's getting over it and she's ready to move on, you know, and she's ready to embrace it again, love again. And, and that's actually the name of the song even as the last song on the album is ready to love. So yeah, this is a very cool album. I really like this one. This was very long anticipated. Uh, this is her second album. Uh, well, of course, she did. She's done some other stuff though too. She did the one album that was the John Mayer uh, cover album, to where you know it is where they a lot of artists have been uh, doing their own spin on the John Mayer album. She's one of them that did it, and that was really good too. Uh, Lindsay L, just super talented. Um, it's like that's just somebody you really pull for because she's just so talented. I've gotten to meet her. She just couldn't be sweeter. Just such a nice person and. She just, she works her brains out. She works so hard to um, to where she's constantly on the road. Of course, this year, you know, her schedule's been pulled back this year, obviously, because of the pandemic and everything. But otherwise, it's like she's on the road just constantly. And I don't know how she does it. Um, and then when when I actually met her, one of the things I said to her, course it was cma fest week i met her at cma fest and a lot of times i think i know it happened once it may have happened twice i don't remember but a lot of times she would she would just wear herself out you know she'd end up sick by the end of the week you know where she had just just wore her body out you know and one of the things i said to her when i met her i was like are you taking care of yourself this week and she was like yes yes i am <laughs> i am taking care of myself like yep i've got this yep so uh yeah that's one thing i definitely said to her i was like now make sure you're taking care of you this week too you know make sure you're okay and don't, not wearing yourself out she's like yep i'm on it that is for sure so jumping up to number one, I've got Carrie Underwood's Christmas album, My Gift. The Christmas album is something that we've wanted from her for a very long time. We've been very excited for it. And this year, you know, we got the surprise of it. You know, it wasn't just the pandemic. You know, she talks about that this was already in the works even before the pandemic started. And then, and it definitely delivered just an awesome album. And she actually announced um, a few days ago that there's going to be a companion album coming to this. And she surprised us with something else that we've been wanting from her. And that's a gospel album. And she's doing it. And it's going to be called My Savior. It's going to come out around Easter is what she said. And it's going to be hymnals. It's going to be all like kind of old classic hymns that she's going to sing. And of course, you know, we've seen what she can do with a lot of them already, you know, with like how great thou art. If you've never heard her sing that in person, oh my goodness. It's like, I've seen, I don't know, probably three, I don't know, three or four times I've heard her do that live and it will just send chills through you when she just starts hitting that last part and just, she just starts building and building and building on it. 
and it just rattles the room. It is, it's incredible to hear live. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So yeah, it's been a very awesome music year. I mean, these are just the albums and EPs. You know, there's a lot of just great music I've found this year, you know, listening on Radio Disney Country and just a lot of different ways through Apple Music. You know, it's with Apple Music, it's really awesome. I subscribed to that this year and I've really enjoyed that where you can just jump around, listen to music, listen to albums, you know, and and what's really cool, I mean, it's, there's a lot of albums that you don't know if you would, you know, if you would buy them, you know, you don't know if you'd spend like $10 on an album because eventually that's all going to add up. But with Apple Music, you know, it's everything that they have in their library is available to you, you know, to uh, to listen to. It's $9.99 a month. I love Apple Music. It's been an awesome thing this year to where, you know, you can just... And a lot of times what's cool about Apple Music is like, you know, they'll kind of... They go by what you like and everything. They try to recommend stuff that they think you would like and... Um, a lot of times I'll see albums just pop up on that list from like artists that I didn't know they had a new album coming out, you know, and I'll see it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, well, let's check this out and see what that sounds like, you know, and it's just, it's just such an easy way to sample new music. I really love Apple Music. It's, uh, it's been really, really awesome for me. So now let's jump over to favorite TV shows of 2020. Um, I have ranked these for my top 10, and I'm gonna, I'm trying to figure out how to discuss them, because I don't want to jump spoilers. I don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, so, because I don't want to talk too many spoilers in case people are watching these shows, so I'm gonna try to kind of be careful with things that I say with this, um... I've got Legends of Tomorrow. Of course, I'm a big Arrowverse fan, so I watch most of the Arrowverse shows. There's a few of them I don't watch just because I just don't have time, and there's just so because the, it's just grown so much. You know, the Arrowverse has just become such a big thing. You know that they've just added and added, and it's just kind of been a deal where I just haven't been able to watch everything. You know, so I have Legends of Tomorrow here. That is. They, you know, they kind of embrace themselves as uh, kind of the silly show of the Arrowverse to where uh, they're just completely over the top with the stories. Basically, the story of Legends is that, uh, you know, they're time travelers and they tend to break things. <laughs> like pretty much they're notorious for messing, messing up the timeline and most of the episodes are that now they've they've messed this up and they've got to go fix it. And you know, they'll get a you know, they'll get a signal where it's just like, "Oh, we have a timeline mess up and, you know, 1865 or something, you know, just some random year. I'm just rattling off some random name, random year in my head." And they'll have to go fix it, you know. And they've they've embraced themselves. I thought the first few seasons was more kind of serious where they were more kind of more like the others and it seems like by the time they hit like season three they were like okay we're, we're just gonna go completely over the top silly and we're just gonna embrace this is our role you know in the Arrowverse that this is what we're gonna be and of course we've had some characters jump over from the Arrowverse you know into Legends in and out you know so yeah I've got Legends of Tomorrow here at number 10 
Number nine, I have AP Bio, which returned for its season three on the Peacock streaming service this year. Is uh, It was canceled after two seasons on NBC. I talked a little bit about AP Bio a few few uh, weeks ago on the podcast, you know, where it centers around a high school AP Bio class where you have Jack Griffin, who lost out on his dream job. He's like a Harvard philosophy scholar, just this very educated, just very successful. He lost his dream job, and he ends up being forced to return to Toledo, Ohio, to where he has to work as a high school AP Bio teacher. He doesn't want to be there. He has zero desire to teach these kids, and he's filled with a classroom of students that desperately want to learn, and they're completely annoyed that he won't learn or won't teach them. They can't learn, and they're annoyed that he won't teach them. And it's just, it's a very funny concept. The way they play off of each other is very good. It's almost like they, and it, well, not almost, it is very much like this. It's exactly like this to where they bargain with one another to where Jack needs some, some help. Cause Jack always has a scheme. There's always some kind of a scheme that he's planning to get even with somebody or somebody that's done him wrong or if he just wants to mess with somebody, you know, just whatever. And he needs the student's help to, like, help with his, you know, chaos of the week, <laughs> you know, that he's planning. And, you know, he'll make some kind of bargain with them of, if you help me, I'll do this for you, or I'll teach you such and such, or I'll let you keep your books, or I'll give you back. Because he even takes their books away from them <laughs> at the beginning. He's like, I'll, you know, I'll take... I'll give you your book back, you know, or something. And it kind of turns into those situations to where, you know, the students are having, are flip-flopping and they do it back to him. And that's always pretty funny with how they do that. And it's just a very good show. It's very funny. I enjoy it. And, of course, like I said, they've had their season three with uh, AP Bio. They just got picked up for season four. You know, that's what I was actually talking about on the podcast. So very exciting that they're going to be back. It's a great cast. It's a funny show. Uh, like, like I said the last time, the students are the ones that make the show for me because they just all have their personalities and they all just bring so much to that show. So it's like if they ever lost the students and took the focus off of them or even changed the cast... That would be hard, you know, because I really like that group of students. I think they're very good. All right, jumping up to number eight, I have the next show from the Arrowverse. I've got The Flash. Uh, This season of The Flash, The Flash was kind of in a weird scenario this year with this show because because we had the crisis uh, crossover event going on to, you know, the big crossover where they bring all the Arrowverse together, bring them in for one big epic story, big epic showdown. And the Flash had been really seemingly building to where this was going to be a crucial part of crisis this year to where, you know, the big story was the flash disappears in crisis, you know, and that's kind of what we were waiting on when arrow announced that they were going to end the focus kind of turned to where the focus kind of switched more toward arrow. So that's kind of something that happened there. And so once, once they got through crisis, 
um, the back end of the season for The Flash, I just wasn't as crazy about kind of the main storyline and the main villain and all that. It just didn't really, it wasn't hooking me. Like, I liked the first part of the season, but the back end of the season just really didn't do much for me. And the, I wasn't as crazy about the finale, but I've got to give the finale some grace because that wasn't meant to be the finale. You know, that was supposed to be, you know, the episode where they had like, I think maybe two episodes left after that. Of course, the pandemic shut them down. So what ended up being their season finale was not really meant to be their season finale. So maybe if I had seen where they got to, it would have been a different feel for me. Maybe maybe I would have had a kind of a better feel for the Flash for this particular season. I think this was probably my least favorite Flash season so far. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just, it just didn't hook me kind of like the other seasons did. And like I said, I just wasn't as crazy about about the villain, like the main villain on uh, the back end of this season. But I really love the Flash. It's a really good show. Um, as far as the Arrowverse goes, goodness, it'd be... It'd be hard to not say, you know, check out The Flash first, you know, because it's a very good show, very great cast. It's very entertaining. It'll make you laugh. It'll hook you in. It's, you know, it's just, it's got feel-good moments. You know, it just, it's got a good story. You know, it's just, it's a very good show. Just like as far as the Arrowverse goes, I mean, The Flash, it's, it's right up there in the top, top tier you know, of the Arrowverse. So next, next we're going to move to my number seven on the list. We're going to continue into the Arrowverse. We're going to go to Supergirl. Supergirl, I enjoyed Supergirl this season. Of course, we had the fallout, you know, with Lex and everything, and we were trying to figure out kind of where they were going to go with that because, you know, with Supergirl kind of had a different little bit of a trajectory change too coming out of Crisis you know, kind of with the story that they went, because their kind of whole world changed too. A lot of crisis was, you know, post-crisis was seeing how the world had changed on these different shows, you know, because like, what did it mess up? You know, what kind of things happened? Of course, now we know the news that this is going to be the last season of Supergirl coming up. So, you know, 2021, we're going to, wait and see how they tie this thing up. And speaking of tying things up, number six, I have Arrow. Um, you know, it's always interesting for me every year when I rank these to where it's almost like an inner ranking to where it's like, how do I rank the, the Arrowverse? You know, of the four Arrowverse shows I watch, where do I rank them? You know, where do they land? Which Arrowverse show did I like the most? And I watch them fluctuate. You know, sometimes over the year where, over the years, you know, I'll see one kind of slide down and the next year I'm like, oh, this show was really awesome this year. I'm moving it up to the top, you know, and that's one thing I kind of am interested to see where it's like an inner rankings within my rankings, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I've got Arrow here at number six. Of course, this was their big finale year. Uh, you know, I talked about Crisis, you know, to where we were building up to the big moment of where they were going to go on Arrow this season and how it would play into Crisis. And 
of course we knew where they were going you know they'd been laying the groundwork for a while and it was just like how does this happen what happens and i just really thought arrow went out on a very strong note um of course arrow is kind of of course i love the earlier seasons i think uh of course, they've uh, where I'm going with that. They've had to. They've changed the team arrow, you know, a little bit over the years, or a lot. You know, of course, midway through the series run, they pretty well overhauled, you know, team arrow overall. And you know, there was one season, like a couple seasons ago, where I was like, eh, you know, it may have been even last season. I don't know. No, it was a couple seasons ago where I was just kind of like, eh, you know, it's okay. And then they really it seemed like they were having to set the groundwork of like, okay, this is, this is team arrow now. And this is what we're doing. And they had to lay the groundwork and then they hit the story and they're like, okay, now we've got that. Now we're taking off. And I really liked like the back end of last season. It was just super intense. A lot of good stuff going on. I thought the final season really sent the show out on a big high note. I really liked I really like this uh, this season. Uh, the Mia stuff. I mean, that I love that character so much, and I just really hope that we get more out of her. That addition to me, I think, really sparked uh, Arrow going out on such a strong note to where they introduced that character. And I'm just really hoping, because we got the tease, you know, I've talked about it on previous podcasts to where, you know, we, it just feels like the, that spinoff is going to go, that Arrow spinoff that is going to be on Mia, it's going to be on the Canaries, you know, that just feels like that is going to go. And it just is yet to be picked up, you know. And they've talked about in interviews that they felt like it was going to go and that everything was going to go. And it seems like the pandemic happened and everything just kind of stopped. So as far as I know, everything's still been quiet on that front as far as the as far as the spinoff on that. So I'm just hoping in 2021 we get something good with that because, man, in the final season, they basically had one of the final episodes was basically a spinoff. It was basically a pilot episode. i tell you what, that pilot looked strong. It looked really good, and I really want them to go somewhere with that. And, you know, I guess all of us as a Arrowverse fandom, we've just got to keep on the CW and just keep on them that we want to see this show because uh, that's it's going to be good. Because Cat McNamara, it's like she's a star. She's awesome in that role, and that's just I think that is one of my favorite female characters that I've ever had on my TV screen, especially in that genre. So I'm really hoping that we get that spinoff. Number five, we're going to jump to Disney Plus and the Star Wars universe here with The Mandalorian. I'm limited on what I can talk about with The Mandalorian because I've yet to see season two. Um, I'm about to jump to season two because I, I'm i just real big about... I jump around on these streaming services a lot to where I'm on one and then I jump to the other. and Because I just don't like to pay for multiples because it's like if I'm going to pay for it, I want to watch as much content as I can on it instead of trying to multitask on it. So again, you know, I've been been on HBO Max for December, so I've been trying to stay there, so 
in January, I'm going to jump to Disney Plus and watch season two of The Mandalorian. I'm hearing good things about it. I've tried like crazy to avoid spoilers on it. Season one was really good, and I just really loved it. It just pulled you in. It was a good story. It was just a great like standalone story to where they just went outside of the typical Star Wars universe and kept going with it and introduced something brand new that people just really liked. Up next, I have number four on my list is just an all-time favorite of mine for 20, season, 20 years, 40 seasons. Let's, let's flip that around. 20 years and 40 seasons, and that is Survivor, who had their Winners at War season this year, which was an all-returning season, all-winners and this is something that we have all wanted for a long time with this Winners at War season. And just a lot of my favorites were back for this season that I was really pumped to see and to see how they could play again. And it was just a who's who of names. And we had Adam, Ethan, you know, the winner of uh, Survivor Africa. We had Natalie Anderson, Tyson. Danny, Sophie, Jeremy Collins, Sandra, Ben, Michelle, Wendell, Yule, Sarah, Amber, Rob, Boston Rob, Parvati, Kim, Denise, Tony, and Nick. I mean, we just, we had a really awesome cast. I had a lot of my all-time favorites here. Of course, I love Boston Rob and Amber, Parvati. I love Parvati and I love Tyson. You know, just, I mean, there's, I just love, it's like I, I can name, just go through and name cast, like, oh, I love this person, I love this person, and those are the main ones I was cheering for, because that's kind of my all-time faves there, so it was very fun seeing them come back, and it was a fun season, you know, I think it was, it's such a shame, though, that it happened, it's, it's, it's not a shame that it happened when it happened as far as entertainment-wise because I think with 2020 the way it's been, this has been a great time for a season like this to pop up, especially when we're coming off a Survivor season that was pretty rough, like extremely rough. <laughs> the last season was not enjoyable. Uh, yeah, just... yeah. Ugh. So when we get you know, winners at war and we get all these returnees. And the reason I say it's a shame that it happened when it happened is because we didn't get as much from it because everybody was virtual. You know, it's like we didn't get the full like media blitz, you know, that we would normally get from from a survivor season where everybody's virtual. But it was a very strong season. I loved it. You know, I, I can't argue the winner. I can't argue the winner, you know played a played a hard game, you know, and and pulled through, you know, and uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this season because I don't know if anybody is still watching, but yeah, it was very awesome season. I really enjoyed that. Number three, we're going to jump up to a show that said its farewell this season for for the second time, it's saying goodbye. I'm going to talk about Fuller House. This was the reboot of Full House, you know, the show that ran in late 80s into the mid-90s. Uh, the thing with Full House, the original, 
is they never got to say goodbye. That the finale that they did was not meant to be a series finale. They they didn't know they were ending. You know, they didn't get the news that the hammer was getting dropped on that show until they had shot that last episode and then suddenly they found out, "Hey, they're they're not bringing us back." So Full House, they never got to say goodbye. You know, so that was just a super bummer for all of us as uh, Full House fans. So, you know, enter in a few years ago, and Netflix announces that they're bringing the show back, and it's going to be Fuller House. And this is a show that I have loved. Of course, I was a huge Full House fan back, you know, from the beginning. Watched it all the way through when it originally aired. Uh, so I was super pumped for this. The night it launched, I think it launched, um, I think it launched at midnight on West Coast. I don't remember, because sometimes we get things launch where we'll get like the launch at midnight Eastern time. So we'll get it at like 11 o'clock here, but I believe it launched midnight West Coast time. Uh, was when Fuller House launched. So I stayed up till 2 a.m. that night when Fuller House premiered on Netflix because I said, I'm going to watch the first episode before I go to sleep. I'm going to watch the first episode, and when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to binge watch the whole season. And that's been kind of my pattern with Fuller House. What well, has been my pattern is that every time they launch new episodes, I would jump right in and binge watch and be done by the end of the day. And one thing I did not do on this last round of episodes this year that launched back earlier in the summer, one thing I wanted to do, I didn't want to rush through these episodes because I knew these were the last episodes and I wanted to take this in, you know, myself and just really take my time and enjoy these episodes to where before it was like binge watch it, you know, I don't want to get any spoilers, get through it real quick. These I wanted to take my time through and just enjoy them. And I was really happy with how they how they ended it. There was good stuff on this season. And one thing I really love about this show is that they throw a lot of little Easter eggs in there to make all of us that grew up with the original go, oh, look at that. Oh, it's such and such. Or it's, oh, I remember that. You know, they'll throw these little Easter eggs in there to just kind of uh, get a cheer, you know, and a reaction out of us that grew up watching the original. So, yeah, the if you haven't followed the new one, the basic premise of the new one is it follows DJ, Stephanie, and Kimmy. That's your three. That's your core three. You know, they follow them. Of course, there's no Michelle in the new one. That's been talked about, beaten over. <laughs> They've hammered that story over and over on, are they going to be in the show? You know, we've done that. You know, they weren't interested, didn't work out, blah, 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 move on. <laughs> it's like, let's move on. So we've had, uh, the story basically follows around them. And of course, we get the cameos. You know, we get Jesse, Danny, and Joey. You know, they pop in from time to time. And so did Becky, you know, we'd get some of the, like the originals pop in and we get some guest stars in there. We had Steve, you know, Steve was back and the basic story, like their personalities. Well, okay. Well, DJ, 
DJ is now in the role of Danny, to where DJ lost her husband, and she has her own kids, and then Stephanie and Kimmy move in to help her with the kids, just as, you know, what happened with the original, to where uh, Joey and Jesse moved in to help Danny with the girls. So Fuller House is a twist off of that, where it's the same premise, but spin it back the other direction, to where it's DJ and then Stephanie and Kimmy move in to help her out. And it's funny because the role, you can clearly see who is supposed to be who. DJ has clearly turned into her dad. <laughs> she has very much his personality. Uh, Stephanie is very much Uncle Jesse, to where she has like that really outgoing, you know, just does whatever flies by the seat of her pants, you know, just that kind of a personality, does that kind of thing. And then Kimmy is basically like Joey. Kimmy's, you know, well, Kimmy's Kimmy, you know. And Kimmy is kind of the Joey, you know, of this group. And it's just very good. It's I was very sad to hear that they were ending it because it's just been so much fun, and I've really enjoyed it. It's been great having the show back, and... I don't know, there's such a part of me that just hopes maybe they can land somewhere else, but I did read something lately on another Netflix series that once once a show ends on Netflix, that they can't launch anywhere else for like a couple of years, like one year or two years. I didn't actually know this. I think a lot of people didn't know this until there was another show lately that ended on Netflix where they got canceled and the buzz was like, hey, we'll go over here. And then they said, well, we'd love to. We can't. We can't go because we're locked down. It's some kind of a exclusive deal or something. So my hope was that maybe Fuller House would land somewhere else. And it just hasn't been. Well, there hasn't been any buzz. But, <clears throat> but they can anyway because they're locked down. So I don't know. Just the Fuller House and me fan in me just hopes that maybe eventually they're going to land somewhere because that cast is extremely close they still love working together and I know they were all just devastated and heartbroken to have this season end you know for the show to end with this season number two on my list is I'm going to jump to an Apple TV plus show here and I'm going to go with for all mankind I talked about this show here lately uh, their first season was has been available on Apple TV+. Plus. This was actually the show that I watched uh, when the pandemic first happened, the lockdown first happened, and I was looking for a show to binge watch. This was the this was the show I started with. You know, this was a show that I was really interested in watching. As uh, this was the perfect opportunity to check it out. You know. Uh, Again, the premise for All Mankind is, uh, the premise for For All Mankind is, it's kind of a weird sentence, uh, it's, it's basically the premise of the space race to the moon, you know, back in the 60s, and it's a, diff it's a different spin on what if the Russians had beat the United States to the moon? What would have happened? What would the reaction have been to where in the first episode, you know, you're seeing you know, Americans all gathered around their TVs and are watching, they're watching this happen on the moon, and it's the Russians, you know, and it's the reaction of, like, what's the reaction of the United States? 
What's the reaction politically? What's the reaction just all around? How would things be different? And how would everything react if the Russians had gotten to the moon first? And, you know, there's just, there's so much good stuff on this, on this show. I really enjoy it. Um, the first episode, I was just like, yeah, that was a good, good episode. I, I, that was good. It was good, you know. And then episode two, three, four, you know, I kept watching, kept watching. By about five, I was like, okay, yeah. And then by about the midway point on, I was hooked. Like, I couldn't wait to watch the next episode. And I just absolutely loved it. It's such a good cast. And it's just such an interesting spin. The way the production on it really looks awesome. Just the way they make everything look with the moon. Just so cool. Just so cool. And again, I talked about, you know, on the podcast a few weeks ago, season two is set to premiere on February 19th. And that they've already been picked up for season three, even before season two's premiered. So that's great news for all of us that are fans of the show that we are going to get you know, three seasons of this show guaranteed. So February 19th is going to be the launch. So I think probably what I'm going to do is right before that season premieres, I'll do a look back at season one, I think is what I'll do. I'll talk spoilers then and kind of give my thoughts on season one as we get ready to launch into season two. So what about number one? What do I have as number one on my list? I have God Friended Me as number one on my list of favorite shows for 2020. This show aired on CBS. I say aired because it just got canceled. Because of course it did. Because it's a really good show. And it's a really good family show. It's just, it's such a positive, uplifting show. And so of course it got canceled. And that's super frustrating. So the basic premise of this show is, I'm not going to talk spoilers as far as how the show wrapped up. I was very happy with how the show wrapped up. I thought it was, I was very pleased with how they tied up things. And I want to, I just want to introduce this, uh, just like the intro plot of the show to maybe get some of you to check it out. Because it's a very fun show, very good show. The basic plot of the show is the show centers around Miles Finer. He's an outspoken atheist podcaster, and his dad is actually a preacher. And, of course, there you see right there, you've got an atheist son and a pastor father. You know, so they are very differing opinions on, on how they see life, you know. Miles gets a friend request on Facebook from an account named God. And he's just like, what in the world is this? So he accepts it. When he accepts the friend request, he starts getting friend suggestions where this this God account page will send him suggestions of people that he should be friends with. And of course, at first he's like, what in the world is this? And But the weird thing is, is that he will get friend suggestions of people that he just randomly runs into or it'll be like somebody on the street that he was talking to or just like bumped into or something and all of a sudden his phone goes off and he looks down and he gets a friend suggestion and it's that person that he just talked about so he's got to try to figure out you know what what does the god account want to 
have him do to help this person, you know? And meanwhile, he is struggling through his own personal beliefs as an atheist, you know? And then he's got this God account to where he's, the God account is working through him to do good in people's lives. And, you know, the premise of the show is like, is him trying to figure this out, going through the struggles of that. And he's also, you know, he runs into, you know, where we've got other characters too, where we've got his friend Kara, we've got Rakesh, you know, who's a computer hacker to where, you know, they're, they're a team, you know, they're a team with uh, trying to work through this God account, you know, and trying to figure out what's going on and trying to even figure out who's behind the God account. What's, where does it come from? You know, and things like that. And, uh, you know, he's got Rakesh who's, you know, like I said, a computer hacker and he's trying to work this too. So, I mean, that's basically your intro to the show without going into much detail beyond that. But it's just such a feel-good show. Like, every every week I would watch it, it just, by the time you were done watching that show, you just felt good. You felt uplifted, you felt positive, and it just made you just feel good, you know? And that's why it's just such a bummer that the show, you know, has been canceled. And, you know, it made it two seasons. The first season is 20 episodes, second season, 22 episodes. So maybe just try, you know, your different streaming services. Maybe try Amazon Prime, try Netflix, Hulu. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it might be. Um, I'm not even seeing it on CBS All Access. I actually just pulled it up on CBS's website. I don't even see it listed in the A to Z, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. So unless it's on, I'm just, I'm not logged in on my all access. I'm just on the CBS page. So I don't actually see it on the CBS.com page. So yeah, I don't know. Just maybe your streaming services, just enter it in and see if it's there. It's God friended me. It's a, it's a very, very fun show. I just, I love it and just love the cast and I'm just very sad to see that show go. But I do have it ranked as my number one show of 2020. So let's get into my favorite songs for 2020. I had this as a top 10 list. And then I just now looked at this and realized that I had two number sevens. So apparently my 2020 brain did not put the fact that I had two number sevens sitting right there beside each other. So we're going to call this a top 11 list of my favorite songs of 2020. So we're going to go at number 11 with Getting Good from Lauren Elena, which I talked about earlier. Number 10, Mickey Guyton with Heaven Down Here. Just such an awesome song. Great voice. You know, where it's talking about, you know, we could use a little Heaven Down Here. You know, talking about just the bad in 2020. And number 9, Who You Are To Me with Chris Tomlin featuring Lady A. Number eight, Half of My Hometown, Kelsey Ballerini, that comes off of the Kelsey album that I was talking about earlier. Number seven, Tears of Gold, David Bisbal and Carrie Underwood. You know, when like I said, when the Carrie album, the Christmas album came out recently, this song got released the same week. Well, I mean, let me take it back. The media buzz of the Christmas album with the HBO Max special and all that, the album came out in September. 
uh, as far as the HBO Max like media buzz, this song kind of landed in the middle of that and really just hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. Number six, I've got Be a Light, just a positive song, you know, in this 2020 with Thomas Rhett featuring Reba McIntyre, Hillary Scott, Chris Tomlin, and Keith Urban. Number five, Girls in My Hometown, Daniel Bradbury, such an awesome song that uh, was released earlier this year. Number four, What Do You Think of Lauren Elena and Lucas Graham? And then number three, sticking with another Lauren Elena song with Run, which is off of her latest EP. Number two, I've got Both Still Young by Deco. I hope that's how it's pronounced. And Keith Urban. Uh, I found that song on Radio Disney Country um, this summer. Just such a fun, it just reminded me of like a, just like a fun dance song that you would hear like, you know, years ago in the summer, like, I don't know, like kind of that late 90s, early 2000s, kind of like that dance summer song, you know, just really good. I like that. Speaking of summer songs, my number one song of 2020, Never Have I Ever, Danielle Bradbury. Uh, this was my summer song. You know, it was released back in the summer, just such a good sound to it. And, you know, when I heard it, I just thought this is definitely my favorite song of summer of 2020. And it carried on over and became my favorite song of 2020. So that is just a quick overview of my favorite songs of 2020. So yeah, this was just the way, some kind of a way to kind of review 2020 without just going down such a gloomy road. You know, it's like I'm watching, uh, watching the... Times Square stuff tonight, New Year's Rock and Eve going on. And it's interesting to watch just kind of how they're doing this this year because it's like, how do you do it? You know, there's, it's very weird. It's very weird to watch because it's, it just looks like everything's kind of normal to where, you know, it's like the programming's trying to go on as normal to where you've got the host roaming around in the street but there's hardly anybody there, you know, you've just kind of got random people scattered around, you know, and so, you know, a while ago, uh, they had, uh, I, I Will Survive was being sung in Times Square earlier on that I saw, I was like, man, that's, uh, just seems like that's kind of been 2020 is us just trying to just get through it, you know? So I just thought, man, what a fitting song for 2020 for <laughs> New Year's Eve. Just kind of doing their normal thing where they've got everybody performing, you know, from different locations, which is kind of normal anyway. They do tape stuff, you know, New Year's Rock and Eve. They do tape stuff from different locations. That's a normal thing. But, you know, the Times Square stuff, you know, they're talking to people live and, when I looked at it, what it reminded me of is when when the ball drops and everybody leaves and like you'll have like the street sweepers coming in and like all the crews are coming in and they're cleaning up and you'll look and there's just like people scattered around where there's still people that have left and not went home, whereas the majority of the people have went home, but there's like that scattered few that's still there. That's what it looks like tonight. The first time I saw it, that's what it looked like. It's I said, this looks like the post-New Year's crowd to where the balls dropped, everybody went home, and here's your few people that are still sticking around. That's kind of what it looks like 
in peak time this year, you know, so very, very strange time. So, I mean, 2020 is going out as weird as 2020 has been throughout. Okay, let's talk Wonder Woman 1984. Again, I'm going to talk spoilers here, so if you do not want to know what happens in the new Wonder Woman movie, 1984, now's your time to cut it off. There's not going to be anything else after this. This is going to be the last thing on the podcast where if you don't want to hear spoilers, you can tune out and not miss anything else. So three, two, one, here we go. Okay, so... I did a back-to-back viewing of sorts this week. I hadn't seen the original yet, so I watched that, um, I don't know what night I watched that, Tuesday night? What is tonight? (laughs) We're in that stretch of like Christmas, New Year's, where you don't even remember what night it is, because it's, everything kind of bundles together between Christmas and New Year's, but I saw a meme that said that, where it's like all of 2020s felt like that, so what else is new? Um... Anyway, like two or three nights ago, I watched the original. I really liked the original. Um, I just I thought it was very good. The story was good. Cast was good. Um, you know, it just, of course, it lands like in a war, you know. And I think maybe this is kind of such the difference between the two movies. Is that one there? It, they're just very different movies. Like the setting of them are two very different things to where that movie is set, you know, decades ago in a war, you know, and then we're also getting the backstory of, of Diana, you know, to where she was a kid and then her, her leaving the Island and all that. So, you know, that, that just has such a different feel to whereas 1984 basically like throws the story into a corporate setting you know they're two very different movies and you know i've seen a lot of negative feedback on the movie to where people just really didn't like it and i mean it's twitter you know a lot of people hate everything on twitter so you know so i didn't really know you know you kind of have to take negative feedback as it is, you know, whether people are overreacting or whatever. And, you know, a lot of times I notice with movies that the mo- the movies that the critics tend to rip on are the ones that I tend to like <laughs> and flip-flop the ones that they absolutely love I'm not really into. So with 1984, I kind of went into it with low expectations because I was hearing negative things and it the like the noise was louder than kind of normal. It was just kind of more than your just your typical, you know, Twitter can't stand anything kind of deal. But I don't know. I was, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't, I didn't love it. I just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of in the middle ground on it. Just, I guess it just wasn't kind of what I was expecting in a way because I guess like I said the movies are just so different because the first one with it being in the war it's very 
it's very much like the battle and it's like just it's very much it feels like more like your typical comic book movie to where you know it's good versus bad and it's you know there's all the battles the war going on and things like that it's kind of that kind of a feel whereas the new movie is just straight up corporate business and things like that and focuses on like greed and power to where you know you have uh you have Maxwell Lord you know and my only the only thing I've seen of Maxwell Lord is uh Supergirl the new CW Supergirl that's the only version of Maxwell Lord that I've seen so this was different for me to see this character in a different movie show slash show, you know, to where his character is basically just trying to become the most powerful person in the world, you know, and he's just going to do whatever possible to get there. And then we have, you know, a similar kind of story with Barbara, who was played by Kristen Wiig, to where, you know, we get the setup of the character of just how likable she is in the beginning, to where, you know, she, you just feel so bad for her, because she, she's overlooked, you know, and nobody pays attention to her, and she's very self-aware of that, you know, to where she's just like, yeah, nobody listens to me or talks to me, oh, you're talking, you're actually talking to me, you know, and it's just sad, you know, it's, it's just such a sad story. And, you know, she strikes up a friendship with Diana and they become friends and, you know, and Barbara is very much like, you know, she ends up being the victim when she gets assaulted, you know, on her way home and then Diana saves her and you just feel so bad for that character and she's just so tired of how she is seen in life. So they find this stone, you know, the stone comes up, shows up to where it's a wish granter, you know, and you can be granted a wish. And that's, this is another, I don't know, this was weird to me as far as the wish thing goes, because it brings Steve back. And it just, I don't know, it was very weird I don't know, anticlimactic, maybe that's the word for it, that, like, Steve returns, and it's just kind of like, at the beginning of the movie, and it's just kind of randomly like, oh, Steve's back, how is Steve back, you know, and it was, and of course, with the way the movie plays along, you know, the first, the first movie, uh, he went out in such a big way, and just this epic way, in such a sad way, you know, it was just like, you know, when I was watching, I was like, no, no, Steve, you know, and, and it was like, they brought him back in this movie, and it was just like, he got, was anybody else thrilled that Steve got taken away from us twice? (laughs) It's like, we, that he was brought back, and I mean, the scenes were fun, the scenes were fun with him back, like, I love the scene where he was up, you know, in the, in new, technology you know that was really cool where he's up in like a new plane you know where considering what he was used to flying you know in the first movie decades ago you know and of course he takes off 
yeah, there was the really funny scene where he takes off and he's just like, oh, okay, well, we can get away from them. No, no problem. And then Diana's like, yeah, I forgot to tell you something about uh, 1984. There's a thing called radar. Yeah, they can see us wherever we are. And they don't even have to lay eyes on us. He's like, what? what? Are you kidding me? And so I thought that was a pretty funny scene. I enjoyed that. I mean, they had some fun scenes with them. But man, I just, I don't know. I just... It was just, because that was kind of a heart, well, I mean, not kind of, it was a heart wrencher, you know, in the first movie with how, what happened to Steve, you know, and them being taken away from each other. And it just felt like we kind of had to go through it again, <laughs> you know, and uh, in this movie, I was just like, man, I can't believe they're going to take Steve away from us again here. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's, and then, of course, the story ends up being that, you know, Barbara, is sick of being stepped on. She's tired of being what she is. And she idolizes Diana, you know, and wants to be her and wishes to become her and does become her and then gets out of control to where she gets the powers and everything else. And she doesn't want to go back to what she became. And then Maxwell Lord, you know, takes he his wishes that he becomes the stone himself. And to where he becomes the wish granter, and it ends up destroying him from the inside out. And and then she's trying to protect him because, you know, the whole thing is if you destroy him, then if you destroy the stone, it wipes everything out and everything goes back to normal. So with him becoming the stone himself, you have to take him out. So now Barbara doesn't want to go back to being just her average self. So she's trying to protect him at all costs to where she becomes just the super monster herself, you know, and it's almost like a competition between the two of them to see who can become the biggest monster of the two, you know? So I don't know. It just, uh, from there, you know, it's kind of the basic story is just them trying to, uh, as Diana and Steve trying to defeat them. You know, and then of course we lose Steve again to where she gives up her wish to where she can get herself back to where she can save the world because, you know, Maxwell Lord is asking, he's went on, you know, like the emergency alert and he's broadcasting everybody in the world asking for wishes and he's gaining, uh, he's gaining things off of everybody else's wishes as a return, you know, and becoming more and more powerful and destroying the world, you know, and he's starting a war <laughs> between, you know, the United States and Russia, you know, in the cold war here in 1984. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, and the thing with the kid, you know, where uh, Maxwell Lord's kid, you know, when I was watching that play out, I thought, I thought maybe the kid was going to be the one that took him out because, you know, he was accepting everybody's wishes. And I thought, okay, so what's going to happen is the kid's going to make the wish of, I want my dad back and that's going to wipe him out. But that's kind of sort of what happened, but not really at all, you know, to where the kid did play a part, but uh, it wasn't the wish that actually did it that I, that I noticed, unless I just didn't pick that up you know if I didn't tie those two things together but yeah I don't know I was just very I don't know I was very iffy on it it's like I didn't hate it 
I don't know if I really liked it a whole lot either, but maybe it's because, yeah, I watched the first one. And like I said, they're just very different movies. And I don't know, it just, I don't know if it, this kind of environment worked as much for me as it did the first one. Like the setting for the first one just seemed like it worked so well, you know, with with how it all played out. I just wasn't really crazy about 1984. You know, as I was watching it, I just didn't feel any excitement and any pull to be like, man, I can't wait to see how this plays out. It was just kind of like I was just watching, you know, to get to the end. I'd say watch it for yourself. You know, I have seen some people, of course, the there's a lot of people that really don't like it, but I've seen other people that do like it. You know, it just, it depends, depends what you like, you know, watch it for yourself. See if you like it. If you don't like it, you know, that's what I always say do, you know, it's, it's like, don't go on other people's opinions. Just watch it for yourself. See if you like it for yourself. So yeah, it's uh, not Wonder Woman 1984 will be up available on HBO Max until the end of January toward the end of January. So if you want to check it out, it's there. That wraps up this last episode of the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast for 2020 on this New Year's Eve. Thank you so much for listening. I just hope for a great 2021 for everybody. I know 2020 has been a lot. It's been a struggle for everybody. I know there's been tragedy, you know, in a lot of people's lives and a lot of struggles. I think everybody's struggled in some some point in 2020. It's been it's been a rough year for everybody. And I just hope for a 2021 just for all of you to just be so great and so awesome. And I just wish you all the best things in the world for 2021 for you. So that is it for this episode. Take care, God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. And I'll talk to you again in 2021.